What has two thumbs and cleans my house? A broom from the Sorcerer's Apprentice, because they have arms in that short. That's what we're talking about today on Writers Get Animated. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling and animation. I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And I'm Chris Leva. And this guy is Jacob Reed, joining Hi. us today in the flesh. Welcome, Jacob Reed. Good to be here. We, we thank you every episode. but I, I appreciate that. Now you're actually here. I'm so. here. Are we going to say his full name every time we refer to Jacob Reed? I don't think so. No? Okay. <laughs> I think we can just say Jacob. I, is that all right? Yeah, just, that's just fine. Just to call you Jacob. <laughs> I know my wife calls me by my full name most of the time. It's odd, um, but it happens. But that's not what we're talking about today. <laughs> today we're discussing... The Sorcerer's Apprentice, the animated short, which is part of both Fantasia and Fantasia 2000. One might argue it's the best part of Fantasia 2000, and arguably the best part of Fantasia itself. I was going to say, like, is there a better part of regular Fantasia? Fantasia 1940? Uh, I like the... The Ned on Ball Mountain and the Ave Maria at the end. Yeah, that is, it is gorgeous. But I'm also a sucker for anything Halloween. <laughs> so, so there is that. There's like a little implicit bias in the fact that it's about Halloween, so I'm going to like it. Okay, that's fair. I, I'm, I'm good for dinosaurs, so Red of Spring is, is always good for me in the original Fantasia. What's wrong with that? Dinosaurs, uh, like Red of Spring. In Fantasia 2000, the jazz piece, I remember really liking that. Rhapsody in Blue in Fantasia yeah. 2000, did you get to see that? I haven't watched it recently, so I don't remember. They did the Hirschfeld-style drawings, and then they did the with Gershwin, and it sounded it was actually pretty cool, Okay, the way they had it going. Um, but that's not what we're talking about. I mean, Fantasia is this lovely thing where we have this mix of music and animation and storytelling and how that goes. So we're going to go back to The Sorcerer's Apprentice, a starring role for Mickey Mouse. Essentially, Mickey Mouse is starring role on the big screen in Fantasia and what it looks like. And the reason why we have Jacob here is because Fantasia is about music. We thought it'd be a good idea to add to our arsenal a musician, a composer, um, to talk about music. So was that was that a probably I think that was a good idea to have a musician talk about music. Sure, why not? I mean, I'm all for it. Um, I note there's a squiggly thing um, that tells you the tempo sometimes. The squiggly thing has nothing to do with tempo. Yeah, I think you're talking about a clef. Yeah, that one. Yeah. This is why we have Jacob here, not me. <laughs> <laughs> the clef? Really? You thought the clef has to do with tempo? It's been a long time since elementary school music class. Hey, if learning about clefs in elementary school, that's good. You had a good music teacher in elementary school. I did. I liked her. That's great. So where did Sorcerer's Apprentice come from? Let's, let's discuss that first. Where, what is the beginning of the Sorcerer's Apprentice, Mackenzie? Uh, so Sorcerer's Apprentice is like this wonderful thing of digging into the history of, um, I think, originally from... What I can tell, Sorcerer's Apprentice was going to be its own standalone Silly Symphonies short. Oh, I, 
I was talking about like the actual thing. Like, oh, we're going way back, way back, way back machine. Jump, jump even further, man. So in 1797, (laughs) I know you're all on board with this already. You're thinking animation. 1797. In 1797, the famed poet and playwright Goethe, G-O-E-T-H-E, wrote a poem, Sorcerer's Apprentice, or in German, which I'm about to butcher, Der Zauber Lerling. I'm getting some nods. Is anyone, That's okay. Is there, you, uh, are you better? Do you not, want, no. No, okay. I, I didn't know. I didn't know because I didn't even want to chance it because I would have. Oh, I always take a well. guess. I appreciate um, you thinking that there was a possibility I might be better. That's, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> I think I take that as an insult? I probably should. No, no, no. It was <laughs> Uh, anyway, and they'll never have me back again. <laughs> no, Chris is just going to kick me off the show. It's fine. So, 1797, we get um, this poem. Der Zauber That was worse. Um, Der Zauber Or better. Lehrling. Worse or better. We don't know. We don't. That's true. <laughs> Neither of us know, none of us know. None of us know if we're getting better or worse on the spectrum of your German pronunciation of. Okay, so I think I did better than that. I I do not doubt that. I Twitter will grant poll. you that. Twitter poll. <laughs> um, it is a 14 stanza poem that pretty much plays out exactly like the Disney animated short version. Uh, there's an apprentice to a wizard, and he doesn't like doing chores, so he uses the magic of the wizard to bring the broom to life to do the you keep chores. Saying wizard, do you mean sorcerer? A wizard did it, okay? Are we going to parse that? Like, is that something that we should dig into? I, I don't know if we should. I mean, I, I don't know if it's an offensive term for like, look, I've studied all these years to become a sorcerer. I don't want oh, somebody like, to call me a wizard. Like meteorologist and weatherman? Yeah, yeah. You know, I feel like I feel like we should, that's the term. I feel like we should. Okay, so Nicolas Cage. Oh wow! Okay, we're going we're going to the Nicolas Cage film now. Actually, I was making a big loop in my head. You're talking about meteorologist and weatherman. I thought the weatherman starring Nicolas Cage, which is Nicolas Cage's possibly only good movie, but then he's also in the Sorcerer's Apprentice, the 2010 Disney movie about the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's the one good thing about the Sorcerer's Apprentice, the 20, and we're getting way off topic slightly, <laughs> even though we're talking about the Sorcerer's Apprentice, the 2020, the 2010 film is that most of the effects are practical. So in a world of CGI, they actually did a lot of practical effects, and it just looks better. So the effects look pretty good. The story is pretty like on the opposite end of the spectrum. Okay. But let's put it this way: I had not heard of the 2010 The Sorcerer's Apprentice movie until doing research for this podcast episode. Well, I just heard about it now. Exactly. <laughs> that was six years ago. It's only six years ago, and you don't know what it is. Yeah, but I live under a rock. I have a small child. So, so far we know this poem is in German. The poem is in German, 14 <laughs> stanzas, about a, a guy who's the apprentice to a sorcerer. Yeah. Um, doesn't like in, doing chores, steals some magic, doesn't know how to use it, makes a broom come to life, and then there's a lot of brooms. It doesn't go well. Not so in the sorcerer, poem. Just two. And there's the only poem two is in the just poem? two. Yeah, and the poem. That's a lot. Two's a lot. There's a lot of water. Yeah, there's a lot of water because that's the 
the broom is set to bring water and collect water and then it won't stop so he tries to stop it by chopping it in half and then the both halves become brooms yeah. and come to life but he actually gives the broom a head and it actually turns it into some kind of a person it's very german fairy tale i'm about it so he just brings it to life and instead of bringing it to life as a broom with arms it, such as the animation it actually has like a face and a head and actually is a person mm. uh, some kind of demon or spirit that that it calls out and he chops it in half which is slightly gruesome when it's not talking about a broom but it's chop it in chop it in half becomes two does the chores twice as fast and can't stop it now and it gets even worse till the sorcerer comes out and says hey I, I'm in control. You don't know how to control this, and you can't ever try this ever again until I call you because I'm the sorcerer. And the moral of the story is if you don't know how to use great power, um, you're going to suffer the great responsibility. It's a very much like season five of Breaking Bad when, um, when Walter White enlists the help of the neo-Nazis not realizing that Uncle Jack and the neo-Nazis are probably a bad thing to get involved with. And then they overpower, like, I don't, I don't, it's, I don't want to ruin season five of Breaking Bad for anybody, but getting in a deal with neo-Nazis is probably not the best thing for Walter White. Let's just put it that way. Or anyone. Or, or anyone. Uh, I'm just pleased with this, tangent we've gone on <laughs> it's it well it's about the you you try to go the easy way mm. and try to use power that wait you're not using the use. easy way uh for what he's trying to accomplish yes <laughs> yes <laughs> if you're trying to to master you know 20 some deaths in a prison in under five minutes you're going to need some help from neo-Nazis. Well, okay. I did read that from the poem, there, there's, like a, there's like a phrase common in the German language about, often used in political circumstances, about not summoning powers you can't control. That's right. Yes. And I didn't write that down because I knew that I would butcher that one. And yet someone put <laughs> the name of the poem in German in the notes, so I had to read it out loud. <laughs> wasn't so, me, audience. Wasn't me. <laughs> so it's a, it's a good phrase. Um, when it comes to don't call on power that you can't control. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very fitting that it's a, it's just a standard thing. I like it. It's a good moral. I think it's a wonderful thing. And it's stuck around in history, clearly, because in 1896 to 97, a hundred years later, um, Le Printi Saucier is a symphonic poem. Good? Sure. I'm getting some <laughs> nods. Okay. <laughs> Could you do that one better? Oh, I don't know. Let's roll with it. Okay, we'll roll with that one. To show Let's about keep it constant. the animation, not pronunciation, right? <laughs> you got that right. Symphonic poem. He was saying symphonic poem. So it stuck with uh, French composer Paul Ducat. Yeah? Yes. Uh, who subtitled it Scherzo after a ballad by Goethe. Which, at this point, I want to stop for a second and talk music 
in terms of let's let's what is a symphonic poem? Is there is there a tradition of that or like what? Yeah, so I think the term you can't nail it down perfectly, but I think the the, the term refers to or can refer to works for a symphony orchestra that don't necessarily follow standard forms. You know, hmm. uh, when when a composer writes, you know, symphony number two, say sure. you know, Beethoven symphony hmm. number two, or uh, a Mahler symphony number four, right? It's it's going to be four, maybe five movements. They're going to have different speeds. There's going to be a tonal relationship, things like that. And a symphonic poem is typically a shorter work, usually one movement, unless it's in some sort of suite or sections. Mm-hmm. Um, and that movement itself isn't going to follow necessarily uh, a, a standard form. So, you know, a lot of symphonies, the first movement may follow a sonata form or it may follow something like that. So uh, the symphonic poem basically can refer to uh, a symphonic work that ha- is maybe more imaginative or more free with its form hmm. rather than sticking with uh, a, a structure that was established, you know, coming out of a um, uh, classical time period. Um, in this case, I think it's not only a symphonic poem, but it's fair to say it's programmatic. And I don't think every symphonic poem is programmatic. Sometimes they're just sort of tone poems, just poems in abstract music. What, um, when you say programmatic, what do you mean? Programmatic means it's more narrative and mm. is going to um, use sound to try to tell a story. Or... Or, or that it's based on a story. So in this case, I mean, it, it is programmatic in that Dukat was trying to show the events of the of the poem in music. Form. Yeah, in music form. Um, and there's other programmatic music. Um, a, another um, French composer, Berlioz, wrote Symphonie um, Fantastique, um, and he. Uh, he, he wrote a lot of programmatic music as well where there's, you know, you're supposed to hear things happening mm. in the music that, that are events. And it feels um, like the narrative. You feel the yes. story point. You feel yes. this is what's happening during yeah, this moment. Yeah, you can attribute, you know. I mean, he has, he has movements called the witch's dance hmm. when, and you hear all these, like, cool sounds like witches are dancing around, huh. right? And so uh, the, the music is definitely supposed to portray something rather than an abstract sound. Got it. And I do have actually one music thing that I can contextualize this with. I have one, my one fun fact. This is, of course, after Wagner has established the leitmotif. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is still pretty new at this time. And for those of you who don't know, and I, I know I didn't know a clef earlier, but a leitmotif, <laughs> I do know. And that's essentially like a sound effect or, and the sound effect's not the right word, but like a, um, a tiny snippet of the... Um, music or sometimes mod- in more modern times a sound effect that's associated with a certain thing or character or feeling mm-hmm. um so a good example is the imperial march in star wars right that's a great example taking high music and giving it to our lovely i love you lowbrow animated audience who listens to our <laughs> english major <laughs> breakdown of things like this so well, the music, um, looking just purely at the music itself, there are a couple of ones, as this is a nice jumping off point, of motifs that are yes. in there. 
Uh, I, I think there's probably um, three pretty clear themes, and you could dig in deeper possibly and find a few others. I think the first one you hear, I mean, there's just like a, like a little pop of sound, and then you hear the first theme, which I will now butcher uh, singing for you. It's, <laughs> you know, it sounds high strings, which I can't, I can't get up there, but that little thing. Um, it's, it's probably the first thing you hear when you listen to this, and um, it comes back. And every time it comes back, it certainly it sounds to me like sort of magic. It sounds mm-hmm. ethereal. It sounds like something that you can't necessarily put your hands on, or at least it, it leads you to a place like that. And so I like to think of it as the magic theme. I agree. Um, I think you often see it with like the glowing behind the hat, or I think you hear it again with the right. glowing behind uh, the sorcerer. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I think if we're going to talk about how it connects with the with the animation, absolutely, you're going to see it when when Mickey hands the hat back at the end, as well mm-hmm. as when the hat and the sorcerer is, is conjuring stuff above the cauldron. You hear you hear that, that right. theme as well, the magic theme. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's the theme that everybody probably recognizes: do di do 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 do, which is just the beginning of it, and then it actually gets um, explicated or expounded on on later. Um, and then you hear that almost immediately after the magic theme is just sort of an introduction. As of, a hint of what's to come. Yes, yes. Um, and that, of course, uh, there's all kinds of fun things that happen with that, which, which we can talk about. But before <laughs> we do that, let the, I'd say the other theme, since we're introducing them all. The other thing theme is probably a lesser theme, um, but it starts in the trumpets also pretty early on, before sort of any of the action really happens, I would say, in the piece. Um, and this one's a little bit harder for me to sing, but it's uh, it's sort of it's like a da da in the in the trumpets, and I attribute that to sort of like a warning or a foreboding thing. It also happens when bad things are happening, so it's sort of like a a bad things kind of theme. Mm-hmm. Um, and those I would say are the three main themes, um, and then you know as you talk about light motive, I think it's important to also think about. Uh, a technique which goes back well before this kind of music, which is just development of of an idea. And it's it's certainly worth noting that each of these can get picked apart and changed a little and then show up in other instruments or in other ways, faster or slower. And an easy one to figure out is uh, the second, the main theme that we talked about. Dum, ding, do, 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 dum. That do, 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 dum often shows up sped up to make uh, to make you feel anxious about what's happening, vroom. instead of da 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 dum, it becomes a really fast vroom, vroom, vroom. and it's in the flutes, it's in the strings, and it's 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 picking up the pace in, of the in music. Those different pieces. Yeah, that's a, a, a nice little example of development there. But it doesn't quite sound like that. So to your ear, you're not saying, "Oh, that's oh, he sped up that theme." It's just something that. He himself is a behind-the-scenes kind, kind of, of like yeah. I'm riffing on my own stuff. If anyone all, if anyone else is noticing, then that's great. But mostly, it's just yeah to develop more material. I mean, we call it motivic development. Sure. And some of it you do want the audience to to know and recognize, and so you do it in an obvious way that's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. And other stuff you, uh, you know, you sneak in just because then it makes it more connected as a piece. And so then maybe the audience doesn't notice it specifically, but they feel like the piece hangs together well. So before he even gets into the piece proper, or, you know, yeah, as, I, even as an introduction, introduction. Yeah. He's, he's put in the two main themes. Yeah, possibly even the third. I even mean, that the, foreboding thing comes in pretty early. 
So he just pops those in right away. You start getting the introduction to the world thematically and orally very, very early on. When is the first time that we hear the warning one? I'm trying to think of when that is. Um, it's certainly before you get the whole march feel, right? So there's this mm -hmm. introductory music which introduces themes, has some... Oh, the first time you hear it... Go ahead. Because I have the... <laughs> oh, you have the animation. <laughs> like in, my, in my head, the animation. <laughs> so, so hang on. You hear it when he's um, Mickey... So Mickey Mouse, and we'll, we'll dive back into how, what this short means for Mickey, but so we have Mickey Mouse who's now taken over the sorcerer's hat. And Mickey goes up to the broom and he points his hand, points his hands mm -hmm. at the broom to cast a spell and you hear da-da! And he keeps doing that over and over a few times to try to bring that yeah. first broom to life. Da-da! 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 And then he he wiggles his fingers in a beautiful shadow moment as he's getting the, the broom to stand up before he even then gives it his arms. Because is that, if I'm not, correct me if I'm wrong in, in terms of what we hear, because. I, I, that sounds right. Yeah. So, because then it go, starts getting a little bit crazy and going duh, 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 like the really just really yeah. Yes. There's the yeah no no looking you're at right. the score. You're absolutely right because then then the, the you know there's the the silence and the boom 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 and then there's sort of the starting of the marching of the bird. right and this this happens before that what you're talking about the first trumpet foreboding thing happens before that so you're you're spot on Chris so yeah he's pointing his hands at it so that's a really so casting the spell. The actual casting of yeah. a dangerous spell mm -hmm. is the thing that brings it back. And we hear it again at the very, very end as during the Moses moment <laughs> of the sorcerer um, fixing everything, yeah. putting everything back as it was. Um, yeah. But, so, but very early on, he's gotten the themes right in before, right in. before Absolutely. we go th through it. Um, and this is just as a process kind of thing. In your work, yeah. How how do you think of theme and and structuring things in this way? Like, what is it? Well, it depends on the piece, you? and it depends on what I'm trying to do with the piece. Um, but I do like this way of working. I like the idea of um, motives. Not necessarily that I would use them as directly as a light motif that Wagner does. Um, mm -hmm. But on the other hand, he's writing opera where you really have characters. Yeah, and I'm right. not always writing something that's specifically referencing characters. Sometimes mm -hmm. my themes are a little bit more abstract. They're themes of you know, sadness or joy, of sort of more sort of... Um, Ethereal yeah, kind or, of feeling. Or like, yeah, sort of like universal human emotion kind of themes. Sure. Um, uh, but I like that idea of you take a theme and it has some sort of meaning to the piece at least and then you do something with it and then you, it gives it development. And I certainly think that that's a way for artists to create form and structure without a narrative. It's interesting that we're talking about this in the context of a narrative. Right. But oftentimes, you know, you want to make art that's not following a narrative but you still want it to be something that pulls an audience through, right. give them a thread line. And I think... Uh, to be honest, I don't want to get like negative and preachy, but I think the uh, the art of the art of development is um, not being taught or learned as much 
in, in sort of artistic um, circles, and I, I miss it in a lot of the artwork I go out and see, and I work hard to try to put develop in it in my work because I think it it's meaningful. Yeah, um, and definitely then it gives the audience something to come away with that your piece has gone somewhere, you've taken them somewhere, and hopefully, if they're along for the ride, they've they've learned something or gained something from your yeah, definitely because the experience. structure the structure is not necessarily for you it's for the audience that you're giving in terms of as you're building and going forward and getting this all done yeah i mean one would hope hope that it serves both but right uh, i'm right. certainly not just writing to to get it out of my head I, I hope that my music is enjoyable to others yeah yeah definitely you don't have to have a specific story in mind when you're presenting it but you provide a way for people to attach what they want to it sure i yeah. guess is that is that one way to say it it's certainly one way to say it and i okay. i personally love hearing uh, audience members tell me their interpretation. Mm. I, I, I'm not a believer that if they didn't think what I was thinking when I wrote it, then I failed. Mm. Or that they failed as an audience member, which some pretentious artists think. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but no, I like, I like to hear that. I, it, I might disagree and think, actually, I didn't mean that at all, but it's still an interesting thing. Oh, that's what you got out of that piece? That's interesting. Oh, okay. You know, I, I like that. I'm, I'm grateful if they came, listened, and, and felt something. Mm, sure. <laughs> so I'll take anything. Well, I think we're a little bit of a culture in terms of seeking out narrative and meaning to begin with. I mm. mean, if, we're, if we watch something or see something, a lot of people, if, they don't, if something's not clear, they'll just say, well, what was he trying to say? Or what, yeah. was he, what did he mean by that? Or what was going on? So even if there isn't something, people are trying to put meaning on it and say, Oh, I see. They were trying to say this because it turned red when this happened, or yeah. you know, I heard this and it sounded like a happy theme. So the happy thing came back over here. So that meant that, that the character was happy and like so different things. And we try sure. to create that narrative. I know um, growing up when I would go to the symphony with my mom, she would say, um, you know, do symphonies with your eyes closed <laughs> and just let yeah, you yeah. know let what happened. You know, make Fantasia in your brain, essentially. So, right. like, create, just do whatever. And I, I don't know if she was, I, I, I respected that in terms of seeing where things went and where things come, came back. And it caught my ear to listen for theme instead right. of trying to watch what was going on and be distracted by the visual. You could then really listen a little bit better, taking the visual out of it. But, um, but that's how I always listened to music. I can't do that quite now because I'm just exhausted at the end of every day. So fall asleep. Yeah, I'm like gone. <laughs> like I, same reason why I can't do audio books. You know, after Understood. eight p.m., just like, well, <laughs> this has been fun. <laughs> end of day. Goodbye. <laughs> so, well, I mean, talking about like what we attach to it, I think I'm thinking at the same time about Fantasia itself and like why it was made and why it is so narrative based. In shorts, and I think that it's partly to introduce this idea and these these fun music pieces to younger audiences who might not know what to do with this and how to handle with this, mm -hmm. and kind of giving them that structure um, when they have lots of energy to handle something. Not at the end of the day as an adult. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And I also think maybe po I don't know the history of, of animating. You guys correct me, but it seemed like it might have also been an attempt to show the sort of high art of animation. You're and right. And that it's not just slapstick comedy. Mm -hmm. you're, uh, you're very right. Disney um, would use 
Um, Disney and music, in terms of their animated shorts, was always something that they were working on. They had their um, silly symphonies instead of their merry melodies. Um, they had their silly symphonies, where it was always about the artistry of it, and but using the music so they didn't have to worry about dialogue or anything right. else. They could just experiment with the visual picture. So one of the famous silly symphonies would be things like um, the skeleton dance. Oh yeah, we talk about the witch's dance. That's the skeleton yeah, yeah. dance. It's a Halloween episode or something. Mm -hmm. But but you have the skeleton dance going through, and it's all about the music and the putting the visual to the music. And you have things where they're just experimenting with the technology and what they're able to do. So the old mill, uh, which is a storm happening at a mill, and it's all just effects animation and some trying to make their animals look more realistic. And out of that comes Bambi. You know, they're, they're all these mm -hmm. things where they're experimenting, trying to get their skills up yeah. and ready to go yeah, yeah. and this is the first time where they're doing it on okay the feature film we're gonna really try to go and get our technique up so get the effects animation going get this get our character animation i mean they even redesigned mickey mouse when they brought him on the screen because at this point when they were doing fantasia um donald duck was the most popular character hmm. people loved donald because he was actually funny Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> pretty much. I mean, let's face it. Mickey Mouse is, wasn't as funny, right. you know, as Donald Duck could be, because Donald could be rude and Donald could be right angry and right. Donald could do all these terrible things. Um, and Mickey Mouse, it's like Batman, Superman, like Donald Duck, Batman, Mickey Mouse, Superman. Superman is Goofy the voice. Wonder Scout. Woman. R exactly my point. So you have Mickey Mouse, who's like the Boy Scout who can't do no wrong. He's he's the surrogate for Walt Disney. He can't be angry, right. you know. I so see. so he's not as interesting, and his adventures are kind of like, oh no, I accidentally lost Pluto, and oh there he is, I found him again. You know, it wasn't it was not a big thing where he couldn't really express anything or want anything big, and so. Um, when they were bringing him back, they, they tried to, they redesigned his body, his head shape and his head size and gave him pupils and, mm. gave, you know, made him a little bit more expressive mm. and set him up on the big screen. Is this when he lost his tail also or was that before this point? Um, he, I think this is the point where he loses his tail. I think this is the point where he loses his tail. But, um... But yeah, Disney and music had always been something that they used it as a way to to get their stories going or to use it instead of um, instead of dialogue, instead of crafting a story and trying to say put all the focus on the pictures instead yeah. of something else, something yeah. to detract from that. And Fantasia very much worked was a collaboration with Stathouse. Ah, Stokowski, um, the conductor, trying to get this and go through and say, hey, let's get this music to a wider audience, but also show them what we can do with animation. Well, you wrote down a number of, like, you wrote specifically effects animation masterclass with some bullet points below it. And all these effects, I think, happen at a time when something interesting is happening in the music as well to make you see not just the animation is amazing, but it makes you like feel that amazingness before you see it too. Yeah, and to think that when you watch it, it's it feels impossible when you realize what they had done. So 
I think we take a lot of animation for granted now. Yeah. And in terms of, oh, that's probably easy or it's computer or that could be something. But watching these effects and realizing that somebody had to have their hand in every single frame of that is remarkable. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, I wa- the water effects alone, just, yeah. just the <laughs> pouring water <laughs> is remarkable. And probably the most remarkable is when things have gotten out of hand and you know, all the brooms are still going and there's like thousands of brooms at this point. And one broom is underwater or and like uh, four or five of them are underwater and they pour water underwater <laughs> and you see like the little bubbles and this mist. It's like, it looks like water being poured underwater. Like they, they, they did it. They drew water being poured underwater and it just is impossible. Mm-hmm. It's just impossible. Hmm. The the one moment that really comes to mind is when Mickey's on the rock in his dream and he's summoning the waves crashing into the dramatic warning effect again, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and a wave crashes in front of Mickey and you see through the wave just for a split second like a distorted Mickey image through the water and like someone to think about what Mickey Mouse would look like seen through water for a split second with different thicknesses of with different depths of wave between the viewer yeah. and Mickey and distort yeah. that image. It's not like, oh, let's run a program to do that. It's like, we thought about how to draw that. Yeah. And drew it many times to get it looking perfectly. Mm-hmm. It's just unthinkable. It's seven minutes of just <laughs> unthinkable. <laughs> like, Which like, is why the production costs got out of control and then they had to make a whole movie out of this because it was more expensive than a short. <laughs> It, it couldn't really happen. Like, oh my gosh, we're running out of budget. So, <laughs> now you said the the theme, the danger theme coming back, right? Where that's where yeah. he's starting to wake up from. Yeah, it's when he's in the dream and he's summoning the crashing waves and hear the danger theme, and then he does wake up and he falls out of the chair into the floating water and realizes what that one broom has wrought very quickly. Very quickly. Yeah, that's a. Uh, we we don't know how long he's been asleep. He could have been asleep for like two hours, three hours, because usually your REM sleep doesn't really <laughs> start immediately after yeah, falling asleep. Is that for mice or people? That's true. I don't know how how mouse REM sleep works exactly. And real life or animated or computer generated mouse. That's true. It's all different. It's all relative, <laughs> I suppose. But <laughs> I do love. The, looking at the score, um, just looking through it, being knowing some music and knowing that notes are fast and knowing the different staves and seeing how many instruments are playing at a certain point. What's really interesting is to see just how out of hand things get on the page yeah. as much as on the screen. I feel like the screen just in terms of the cuts that they do and how many shots that they have and how fast they cut away, they're really structuring it on the music in terms of how insane the music gets. Yeah, but, I think Ducat does a good job of capturing the idea of sort of the madness of a uh, anthropomorphized room that won't stop 
right? There's some madness to that. And I think that that, right, that you can't control this thing that you've awakened. And that comes out very well in the music that he wrote. There's these worrying string parts where they sort of start low and wind up and then go just spinning fast in a really high range in the strings. And then actually, I think that's another theme or motive that we didn't mention is that there's a falling string thing. That often happens, I think, it's supposed to symbolize sort of water falling going down. Oh, right. Um, and, I, and I think that the animation picks up on that because you'll see, uh, you know, when the water comes pouring down the stairs. Dude. Yes. Yeah, yes. you'll hear that a lot. Um, so I think he does a really good job of, uh, yes, packing the page, as Chris says, with just wild amounts or, of notes. Or is that water theme, is that a sped up version of the magic theme? Uh, I'd, I'd buy it. I haven't checked it, you know, in terms of like, you know, pitch relationships, intervals, and, <laughs> sure. and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I'd believe that there's a possibility in, in sort of, in that one is a sort of um, morphed version of the other. Of the other. Yeah, that, that, I'd, I'd buy that. I'd, I'd believe that's possible. I'll have to do my homework more. <laughs> no, you're doing a lot of great work. <laughs> That's that's just something that I, I had as you sang it just real quick. I was like, wait, sure. that almost sounds like the da 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 right. da, 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 da It's quite possible. But it, but talking about the other one being sped up. And here at Writers Get Animated, we do pride ourselves on English majoring the crap out of things. And in this very <laughs> special episode, we're also uh, music majoring the crap out of it. Because so I'm I'm buying this. <laughs> I'm on board. I think it's important. I mean, as we as we get into just the imagery and everything that happens, I, it it feels intense. It feels stressful. Um, mm -hmm. And when things like this, watching it with Jack, and I, I know he was getting stressed out. He was, and I know that Jack is stressed out because he was silent. Mm. And when Jack is silent and unmoving, he's overwhelmed. And so, like, it, that's what you have to do to this kid is you have to overwhelm him hourly, visually, <laughs> and, and that he will stop. Well, I think that that means that Dukat was successful. And, and so and so was Disney, right? Because this is supposed to be overwhelming. That's the, I mean, overwhelming is a great word, right? Right. You summoned power. If you summon powers that you can't control, you're supposed to feel overwhelmed. Right. Right. So if Jack was overwhelmed, the art worked. Yeah. Right. Yeah, if a four-year-old just... <laughs> who like, loves stimulation. Who loves stimulation is, is like, oh, I can't take this anymore. <laughs> then good job work. to everybody. Yes. <laughs> High fives in heaven. All around. High-fiving a million angels. Um, <laughs> I do have a dramaturgical question, though, which I think deals with the overwhelming. And re-watching this, I can't help but ask myself, like, why is the chore to pour water in this basin? Pour water in the basin. Yeah. So go. What is, what is the chore exactly? That I don't know. Okay. Is it I in the poem? Yeah. Yeah. But the pouring the water is in the poem. Um, or do you mean like the meaning of why he's doing that? Yeah. Is it like a karate kid thing? <laughs> I feel like it's a very, I think it's very much a wax on wax off kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> um, on the other hand, none of us have lived ended. with a sorcerer in a castle. I mean, that, like, there's okay. probably different different housekeeping kind of things than. I don't like to talk about it. Live. 
I, that brings I mean, up some traumatic memories. Thank you <laughs> for digging that. My apologies. It might be that it's he's it's more about the strength of his arms. I feel than possibly so can, in like, the water. Cast spells. Right. You, you, you okay. need a lot of upper body strength to be and able. Water's heavy. Carrying water would do that. Yeah. He. You know, it's not all about the hat. It's not all about the hat. We would think that it's all about the hat because when he when the the sorcerer places, I almost said wizard. Thank you, Mackenzie. When he You're places welcome. when he places the hat on the table to go off to bed, because um, it's really hard conjuring butterflies. Um, when he puts when he puts the hat on his table, the hat glows as if like yep, all the magic's there. All the magic is in the hat. But then later on, when the when the sorcerer comes back, you see, and yeah, it's sure, it's like the light of the room, but he's glowing much like the light. The, the sorcerer himself mm. it has a glow about him. So it's and like, he's not wearing the hat. And he's not wearing the hat. So, and when he comes back down the stairs to stop everything, he doesn't go, where's my hat so I can stop this? Yeah. He, he just it. he he just brings out the Moses the old Moses and just spreads the water old out. Old Moses. Yeah. I'm still stuck on the fact that you made Moses a verb, but he which Moses. is kind of awesome. I just never. <laughs> what else that. do you call that? No, I'm I'm down. I'm just I'm just enjoying. I'm relishing in it. <laughs> you could say he parts the water, but it's a lot faster to say he Moseses it. Yes. So supposes. Moses supposes. supposes. Erroneously. All right, no. Different thing. <laughs> there we go. Different music. <laughs> Slightly. But but that's there's there's that those visual cues of where's the magic and we're supposed to think that it's the magic is all in the hat, but maybe it's Mickey's arms and it's the magic is in Mickey. Mm. It's he's just he's not ready yet. He's, he's just dressing up and pretending. Are you are you looking for a check from Disney? Like is this like a <laughs> the magic is in Disney? <laughs> No, I'm not trying to. I wrote that down. That's in the notes. What What's in your notes? It's about the animator as auteur, because they modeled the sorcerer, whose name is Yen Sid, which is a Disney backwards. Right. And they don't say that in this, but they, they modeled it after Walt himself with his expressions and emotions. And so it's about how he's like this father figure for Mickey, and he has the magic that can do this, but Mickey can't do it on his own. And of course, now Yensid is becoming part of the popular culture and slowly getting introduced in more Disney cartoons, thanks to, and that's where I'm going to bring it to Kingdom Hearts, um, which has made Yensid a um, the mentor NPC in this crazy JRPG of Disney characters meets Final Fantasy. Whoa, whoa, whoa! You, you, you definitely lost me. I think you slow made back again. Chris. I know, I know. In this what? <laughs> So if you're not familiar with Kingdom Hearts, Kingdom Hearts is a video game made by the people who do the Final Fantasy games. Okay. And they pitched this to Disney saying, we want to do a game where our crazy Japanese big hair characters with swords team up with Disney characters to fight evil. And that's this video game in a nutshell. And then there's a mentor figure. They make it Yen Sid. And so because he's now introduced this this audience of growing up Disney fans who love Nightmare Before Christmas and things like that, uh, Yen Sid is now 
being Wait. seen more in like House of Mouse and things like that. You said NPC as a non-playable character. Is that what? Yes. You, okay, that's go. where that's where you lost me. That's the okay. that's I'm on, I, non-playable I'm character now. in a role. Yeah, I can say game. words that you guys don't know too. Take that. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, those were acronyms, not Ooh. words. Ooh, okay. Speaking of English major, so just ten uh, points for Gryffindor. You're right. <laughs> I'm a Ravenclaw, so <laughs> don't give. I'm don't, a Slytherin. Don't give another house my points, please. We 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 run the gamut on this. Anyway, okay. my point is that um, the sorcerer is Walt Disney himself, showing off, and he starts kind of this dark and mysterious, and looks to be feared at the beginning, and it ends with the whole Moses thing, and he's glowing. It's kind of savior like um i feel like it's the transfer of music if it's the transfer of the magic where we understand where the magic was the whole time it's in the uh -huh. self and not in the hat because the hat it looks really great on the table and on the sorcerer but when mickey wears it the tip of the hat just can't stay up it just mm -hmm. tilts over just to show like yeah you're you're, just, you're not doing this right you're just you're just putting it on. It's just a costume. It's not really the whole thing. I mean, it feels like he's a kid in pajamas just playing out this fantasy. Like, it's very yeah, much playing dress up. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. That's my point. Hats. Hats are often symbolic. Yeah. It's Carol theater. Churchill. It's, it's theater, right? Hats are always mm -hmm. theater. Even, yeah. Even just in normal life, if you put a hat on, there's a little bit of theater. There's a little bit of... You get something else. Yeah. Yeah. I know when I it's wear a my political statements. Yeah. And speaking of political statements. Are you going to make me say my. I, I want you to. I, I okay. want it on record. Because I, 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 need, I need to hear this. So. <sighs> All right. Let me stretch a little bit. Okay. I promised I'd English major the crap out of this and I will deliver. Okay. <sighs> so. <laughs> I won't say that the Sorcerer's Apprentice is a direct response to the Communist Manifesto. But I think that it's interesting contextually how they're both related politically and how they place themselves. You mean the animation? Yeah, the animation, The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, Sorcerer's so Apprentice, 1940. Okay. okay. I'll just keep doing that, which is what we typically do on this podcast. I don't know why I haven't been doing it today. It's okay. So The Sorcerer's Apprentice, 1940. Is yes. Um, so backing up a little bit, Communist Manifesto, Karl Marx... Um, and Friedrich Engels use that quote that we talked about from Goethe's Sorcerer's Apprentice poem about uh, great power and using it wisely. And they use that as a critique of capitalism in the Communist Manifesto. And yet in the Sorcerer's Apprentice 1940, we see a lot of imagery that I feel is very inspired by like Russian futurism and Russian propaganda when there's lots of brooms marching, you get these pastel colors and these foreboding figures in dark in the foreground and like these spirited, crazy colored figures in the background. It's very Russian propaganda um, going back to um, all sorts of fun political stuff. And like I said, I don't think this is I don't think Walt Disney sat down and said, you know what? I want to talk about the Communist Manifesto without saying those words. I don't think that happened. I'm not establishing that, but I do think. It's interesting politically that the bad things are like workers. Russian, 
yeah, workers, communism, the labor movement. It's kind of an interesting facade of that in Disney's version um, versus the same quote being used as a critique of capitalism in the Communist Manifesto 50 years ago prior to this. Although one thing, speaking about the artwork, one thing that Andreas Deja has said in his blog, Deja View, referencing it, um, but one thing that uh, he talked about was early German Expressionism films having mm-hmm. their um, influence on the Disney Studios at that time. Absolutely. You can see like Metropolis and M in here, anything Fritz Lang really. So a lot of that has to do with the color and the lighting in terms of how things are lit and how things are framed in the frame. Um, especially towards the end as things get really crazy. There's a moment in the music as well where it's silence, like a ton of um, ton of measures of silence. It's just um, right after Mickey, the, sort, the apprentice, um, has chopped the broom right Mm. very violently very violently in in the original poem it's he kills one broom and and cuts it in half so either in duka he's chopping it up it takes a lot to hack that thing in half (laughs) and finally get it done um but the disney artist interpreted it as really just chopping it up to bits, just chopping the whole thing up to bits. Yeah. So from that moment, we get silence and we get um, Mickey Mouse in black and white. Mm. So all color is gone. So it's almost like a big reset button on the style of everything for a moment. Hmm. And then when the color starts to come back, the theme starts up and Mickey does something that he doesn't do anywhere else and he breaks the fourth wall. He, the music starts up and he stops because he hears the footsteps of the brooms going, which I assume because, I mean, part of me, part of me is like, I think he hears the music starting. He's like, oh gosh, it's that theme again. (laughs) But it's the same theme of marching. So I, I interpret it the same as the walking steps that we don't hear. Yeah. So he stops for a moment. He turns and looks at the camera like, oh God. And then he, what have like, I done? he looks back at the door, opens the door, and this bright blinding yellow light is there. And then we kind of see shadows of things heading our way. Shut, tries to slam the door. And from that moment, the color is more intense. It goes pastel. We get pastel yellows. We get pinks. We get some... Mm. But it's not harsh. It's really, really bright. So we don't get reds. We get like this pink really strong pink behind things but it's I like think we only get the red when he's chopping the broom right yeah okay um but that one's all that was all done in shadow they have a version they have drawings of where they did it him showing him chopping it they're like that's a little bit harsh let's make it back in shadow but he does start the magic in shadow and then he tries to end the magic in shadow mm-hmm. so there's mm-hmm. a nice visual change and representation there working Mm -hmm. with light if we go there but but changing that color to those really really bright colors i think adds another visual for just how bad it is it's just this 
it's off the wall. It's not the regular. It doesn't feel real anymore. It allows things to be a little bit more stressful because it's not realistic. It's now impressionistic. Mm-hmm. Mm. While we're talking about such brilliant sort of technical ways of conveying something. I think I have one more music thing that I'd like to share. Although I don't mean to take us away from the communism thing. We can come back to that. It's done. That was all of communism. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, So when we first hear the main theme, dum, ding, da, ba, da, dum, it's, um, it's, it's in an instrument that it's not used in, it's not the same instrument as when we hear it the full, when we, just, hmm. when we first hear it, we just hear a measure or two of it. We basically hear dum, bing, ba, 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 bum. That's it. But then when we get the full theme, which is many me- measures long, dum, ding, da, ba, da, dum, dum, da, it goes on and on and on. Right, right. We, I think that the instrument choice is particularly nice. So I'm going to ask, if if you were looking for an instrument in the symphony orchestra that's most like a broomstick, what would it be? Symphony orchestra, most like a broomstick. I can't say washboard. Washboard? Not typically used in the the symphony orchestra. orchestra? (laughs) I'm sure there's somebody who wrote a washboard into the percussion section. Well, if you're thinking, you're thinking brooms. You're. I feel like you're going woodwinds. Yes, immediately, Chris. So, of those, which one is long and? Made out of a big stick of wood. That would be uh, pretty much the bassoon. You got it. I would imagine. Oh, damn. So the full theme first appears in Ducat's beautiful symphonic poem in what is, and and I love I love bassoon. I'm good friends <laughs> with many, many, many bassoonists. <laughs> but what is essentially a broomstick that's been hollowed out and put holes on it and keys on it, and that's the bassoon. I think I think it's a really brilliant choice, right? And it has that nice quirky sound. Again, apologies to bassoonists for me imitating your tone with my terrible uh, singing. Um, but I think it's a really cool thing, right? That it's this 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 wooden broomstick instrument in a, in a way, um, and and that gets the full theme, right? That's the first time we hear the full theme, and then uh, the apprentice has violently chopped the broomstick. There's the silence that Chris talked about. And I think this is the shadow thing where, where in, in the animation at least, where he's, he doesn't see them yet. But we hear the contrabassoon go really slow. It's kind of, again, a sort of, we're coming back, we're not dead, right? <laughs> oh, right, so as, they're, as they're all starting to yes, rise again. Yeah, so the contrabassoon <laughs> is, the, is the lower version. It's like the giant broomstick of the orchestra. Um, <laughs> and then, and then... <laughs> Right, so you hear that, right? You hear that a couple times, and then doubling on top of that, you hear what could be considered the other or another broomstick of the orchestra. One of my favorites, uh, the um, uh, the bass clarinet. And again, it's a long piece of wood with some holes in it, and it it does that on top of the contrabassoon. So now you sort of have the feeling of more than one. Going and on. then when the full theme, this is this is really clever. So that so that's just sort of hinting at it. And then it kicks up with the march again. And when it kicks up again, the bassoon has it again. Dun ding da 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 dun da dun da 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 dun da da dun da da And that plays out. And then right after that, the clarinet and bass clarinet have the theme. And underneath 
the bassoon is continuing with um, more of the same kind of thing. And I, I don't want to get technical here, but this is a hint at, at what in, in, in music is called a fugue, where mm -hmm. uh, and Bach is very famous for the preludes and fugues for that, where there's a, th a theme. The theme is then stated in another voice, and underneath it is something in counterpoint with it, something that is a, basically another melody that goes with it. And while this is definitely not a fugue, it's a perfect use of a sort of hint at the fugue because it's the idea of, mm. well, we had one dangerous thing happening, and now all of a sudden we have so two. Two. Uh, two things that we're out of control of, and, and the clarinets are the, the restatement, and the bassoon keeps going as sort of a second one, and now all of a sudden we have two. And I think technically mm. that's really clever and, and mm. it was, fits the poem perfectly narratively and uses two of my favorite instruments that are also like brooms. <laughs> I never would have noticed that if you didn't bring it up. So thank you. It sure. adds a whole new level of brilliance onto that moment. Yeah. It, I mean, you feel it. That's, that's one thing that's in the music is you feel it going on like because it's that lower, I like I didn't realize it was a different instrument entirely. Yeah, but you feel that foreboding of something just like really low, animating, like re or reanimating. You feel mm -hmm. that uh, because of that lowness of it. I, I think uh, contrabassoon has a note low enough that you you often feel it instead of hear it. Mm. It's not the note that Ducat uses, but it. It's the same kind of low sound. The instrument is made for this sort of sort of summoning the depths of the earth. Yeah, I'm going sound. down into the ground. I'm rising from the yes, dead kind yes. of feeling. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> the contrabassoon. <laughs> Thank you, contrabassoon. <laughs> it's our word of the day, everybody. We now have learned the, the name contrabassoon. There you go. The more you know. <laughs> Another light motif. Yes, yes, yes. In, in popular culture, it is a light motif. Yeah. It is true. Oh, popular culture light motifs that don't say anything about the art, but about culture. Hmm. There's something. There's a paper. Yeah. <laughs> and we hand that off. Right, I was about to say, I, somebody should write it, but I, I don't have the time to. <laughs> write it, PDF it, tweet it at Writers Get Animated, at WG Animated on Twitter. So, <laughs> awesome. So, um, what, um, Mackenzie and, and Jacob, something we do, we always talk about our favorite things okay. of what we experienced in the music, in the animation. What was your favorite thing of what we talked about this week, Mackenzie. Mm. We didn't talk too much about the stars today, but I really like the stars in the dream sequence when he's summoning it and you have like the music and the stars hurtling through space. Oh, when he's whooshing the stars around and just yeah, like guiding them. them. Mm. Anti-Mosesing them. <laughs> it's an anti-Moses. Not anti-Moses, but like anti-Moses. Okay. Got it. <laughs> well, not like my aunt Moses, not like that. Oh, my, my auntie Moses. <laughs> mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, I think mine is, you know, whenever you've seen something over 15, 20 times, it's always nice when you're able to notice something you've never noticed before. And I don't believe I've ever noticed Mickey 
like or been aware of Mickey breaking the fourth wall in that hmm. moment. Hmm. Like that was something that I think got, it's a throwaway little thing. It lasts maybe half a second of just turning, looking at the camera, and then looking. I had to rewind it. I had to watch it a second time. I was like, wait a minute. Was that, did he just do that? And then watching it the second time, I was like, oh my gosh, he totally just did it. And uh, my wife, Rochelle, just, she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, he looked at the camera. He looked at the camera. And she even she didn't quite see it right away because it's just a throwaway little thing. It's just like, can you believe this? What's happening? And I hope it's not this. So that was my favorite thing. How about for you, Jacob? Well, as far as the music goes, I think I just talked about my favorite thing, which is this, you know, using the bassoon in the club. Oh, yeah. For, from, the, from the animation standpoint, um, I, and maybe it's because I can't do this as a composer, but I really like what you mentioned about how uh, Mickey's magic and Mickey's violence happen in the shadows. Mm. That you sort of know it's happening, but don't see it. Mm. And that's not something I can really do as a composer, right? You either hear it, or you don't. <laughs> I can't somehow tell you that something is happening without it happening right. in front of your ears or something like that. I mean, it, it doesn't translate exactly. And so I've always enjoyed that about the visual arts, especially you know in movies and things like that. Where Playing around a, with that. Yeah, where there's a sort of the implication of the action, but you don't see it. And and I think that that's when used correctly, you know, is really clever. And mm -hmm. I think it was used really well in the animation. Awesome. And now let's talk about your homework for next time. So for next time, in preparation for March's March of 2017 live action remake of the Disney film Beauty and the Beast, we are discussing the classic animated film Beauty and the Beast. And we do this on the heels of the announcement of the uh, new Lion King remake, which was falsely reported as live action, which we'll handle when that comes out. We will handle that. Yeah. A new live action remake of the Lion King. That's all Air quotes live action CGI animated. It's an all animated live action remake of an animated movie. I have dramaturgical, dramaturgical issues with that <laughs> sentence. Not with You're the welcome. sentence, but with the concepts that live behind that sentence. Anyway. Uh, I, Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast next time. Cool. Well, we get to say this to his face this time. So, as always, thank you to Jacob Reed. My pleasure. One, for being here and being our guest and talking and being our music resident music expert on writers get animated and also thank you for our theme music which is Absolutely. awesome our theme drums and also thank you to nigel cutino our sound engineer you can catch us on twitter at wg animated on tumblr for all of our show notes and um maybe even definitions of all the fun words that jacob threw out and that i threw out apparently um <laughs> writers get animated.tumblr.com or on Facebook, facebook.com slash WG Animated. Do we, do we want to go clean houses with brooms? Uh, I was just thinking, I wish that I had like that German saying right now to butcher to go out on, but I don't. <laughs> so yes. Or buckets, buckets of water. Buckets, pouring buckets. Wub, 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 wub. 
I'm done. Good night, everybody. <laughs>